Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome, everyone. My name is Chris Saparova, and I am proud to serve as your host. And I have here with me today Ashish Katari. Ashish is a former McKinsey partner who just recently left McKinsey to start his own business. And he is also an author of Hardwired for Happiness. Welcome, Ashish. So great to have you with us today. It's lovely to be here with you, Chris. Thank you for having me. Ashish, let's start from your story. How did you end up doing what you're doing today? Yeah, so Chris, let me actually take you back, you know, about 25 years ago when I arrived uh, from India with a master's in engineering from IIT Bombay, uh, $5,000 in my pocket, which was a loan, and the name of one person who I was supposed to come see um, at IBM in Chicago. And, you know, I also came with a, a lot of beliefs, a lot of things I picked up growing up about what does it mean, you know, how can I be happy, how can I be successful, right? And my path to happiness was through success. Work hard, harder than the next person, you know, build relationships um, and continue kind of just, you know, putting your energies, right, into working longer, working harder, working better, uh, upskilling yourself, you know, many of the stories that even now when I talk about younger consultants who I've got a chance to mentor, right, are, are stories that they hold. Um, and, you know, the next 20 years, I poured everything I had into that. Uh, and I got to the top of my mountain, you know, at 43, I was already a fourth year partner at McKinsey. I'd made partner in six years at McKinsey. Um, I was you know, making more money than uh, than I was spending. I was happily married. Uh, we were living in Boulder. I had a lovely 12, you know, at that time, a six-year-old son. Um, and, uh, you know, and life was good. You know, I'd built an expertise. I was very much in demand by my clients. Um, I loved the firm, the colleagues that I worked with, right? It was, it was all, it was all, everything externally, Chris, was great. And I checked off all the boxes. Right from the script I picked up around what it means to be successful and how we get happy through success. Okay. But what was happening to me, I found myself at 42 and 43 that I was actually, despite nothing else being missing outside, I was waking up every day with a high degree of anxiety. I was waking up almost every morning feeling like I had to throw up. And there was nothing that I could point to externally that was wrong. Uh, now, there was a clue, right, around uh, the fact that, you know, the work that I had actually built an expertise in, the work that my clients were clamoring to hire me for, was all around helping them, you know, save money. I was doing a lot of work in procurement. Um, and, you know, I, you know, that had stopped being satisfying. You know, it was great initially for me, but I had stopped actually satisfying me because I don't even negotiate a car when I buy, right? So it's just completely at odds with how I live my life. But here I was, you know, spending 60 hours a week flying around the, around the country, away from my family. Uh, and so all of a sudden, right, this profession consulting the job had just become uh, about earning money. Because, you know, what I was doing wasn't something that I was enjoying, but I was stuck, Chris, from a place of fear, right? Uh, because, you know, there were a lot of elements of the work that I loved. I loved being able to help my clients. I loved build relationships. Um, you know, it allowed us to live the life. And so I was also stuck in fear about being wanting to change what I was doing. And it was in this context, Chris, that I actually was lucky to be at a firm that, you know, offered this program for, uh, you know, partners and senior partners. Um, it was a program which was a mix of 
uh, psychotherapy, positive psychology, some really great you know, tips around mindfulness and, uh, and spiritual learnings. It was actually at a monastery in Portugal. Uh, and for a week, we completely unplugged and really went inwards. I emerged that week with a completely different direction. You know, I had found my Ikigai in that week. Uh, and it came from three things, Chris, that I realized, okay? The first thing was that I realized that my core essence through my whole 20 years, Chris, had been about relationships, connections. You know, what would I do if I had all the money in the world? I would spend time with my friends, helping connect them to others and, and see how I could be helpful to them. For the first time in 20 years, I'd realized that there was this whole field of, you know, between psychology, the science of well-being uh, that I had completely not even been aware of. Things that can allow us to be our best selves, right? Really becoming sharp about how we see the world. And then the third was, I was seeing all these people, right? 25, 30 of my peers who were all in the same boat, right? Struggling with success struggling despite of success. And I decided that day that I was going to spend my life learning as much as I could about this field of human flourishing and being able to actually serve the world, being able to help others by integrating this entire field of knowledge that is not available to most executives. It's not available to most consultants. You know, we teach people how to be good at business. We teach people how to deliver sales how to win clients. We don't pe teach people anything about how to be the best of ourselves, um, right? How to take the best of it. And so, yeah, so that's, that's the story. I spent the next five years reading 450 different books, 2000 plus hours of lectures. I trained as a coach. I did courses with neuroscientists, psychologists, and mystical teachers from India. Um, and I put it all together all of these learnings, all of these practices that I picked up from this, I distilled them down into these nine, you know, that are in my book. And I'm building a company which is around helping people integrate these. So that is my story, Chris. And I'm really excited that, you know, I, get a ch I got a chance to reinvent myself um, and, and really now move, you know, where my life and the work that I'm doing is in complete coherence with who I am and what I deeply care about. Ashish, and what was that defining moment when you realized that, that this is your mission? Yeah, look, I think it was, um, you know, it was the defining mission was that came at that Portugal retreat, right? When these three things connected together, uh, this notion of really being about relationships, right? Really being able to help people, connecting them to what they didn't actually know about, right? Because we are not taught this. Um, and, and being able to serve them to become their best parts, right? But there was another missing piece that as I did my research really became clear and this hence became my mission. Look, if you look at the world we are living in today, you know, we're living in this complete paradoxical reality. It's almost like this four paradoxes that are present for us. And the heart of these paradoxes, why we are living in these paradoxes, you know, is this notion of being hardwired for fear. So I'll talk about these four paradoxes, right? These paradoxes also are the reason why we have a crisis, Chris, at almost every level, political, economic, humanitarian, in every aspect, ecological, we have a crisis, right? Um, and uh, these, you know, and the reason these are there is because of this mindset, this is, as humans, our brains and our ability to hold complexity has actually been outmatched by the complexity in the world, as a result of which we are actually living from a place of fear and scarcity. And it shows up, right? Think about our lives. We are more prosperous than ever, and yet we are not necessarily more satisfied and we are consuming more than ever, right? We are living longer, but we're living unhealthier, right? 80% of seniors have at least one chronic ailment, 60% have at least two. We are more connected as, as a generation, and yet we are lonelier. We've also lost the ability to take perspective and hence we are more polarized. And finally, you know, we have 
all of these things that we can do through technology, 80, 90% less time than it took before. But yet, you and I are busier than ever. Most people are running around saying, I don't have enough time. People don't take vacation. They work while they're on vacation. We just don't feel that there is more to be done and not enough time, right? And to me, once I realized that the reason we are suffering, we're living in this paradoxical world, we're creating so much suffering, is this notion that we are hardwired for fear and we are making decisions at scale 8 billion people from this place of disconnection to the other, you know, because when we are scared, we care about us, right? We want to be safe. So I, it's about me and mine. It's not about us anymore. That became my mission because I realized that to us to have a planet left for the next generation, my work needed to touch as many people as I could. So at, at scale, we could hardwire for fear, we could hardwire for happiness, and we actually start to make very different decisions. Ashish, and uh, when you were in that monastery and you, real, you came there as a high-performing partner, right? You yeah. had you had goals, you had specific things you had to accomplish, and you came for this week, which was very unusual. You go, 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 go person. Do you remember that moment when you realized, oh my God, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life? Yeah. Can you describe to us the moment and what did you feel and th that moment of transformation when your life changed, you stepped on a different path? Yeah, so one of the specific things that we did, Chris, which was so amazing was, so there was a, a labyrinth walk, right? If you've seen the labyrinth where you kind of go in and out, right? So we had done, we had spent two days doing a lot of deep work, exploring our own, you know, why we act in the ways we act. What is the, our core essence behind the armors that we put, um, right? And we had also started to, by the way, integrate some of the well-being practices into it. I woke up that third, third day for the first time in a year with no anxiety. Okay. And I still remember it because all of a sudden, right, every morning I used to wake up and I used to feel like, oh, what's going on? Right. And that day it wasn't. And then that afternoon, right, we actually had, we, it was, we walked the labyrinth. But the way we walked the labyrinth was all around thinking about what you love what you're good at and think about what could your purpose in life be? What, how do you make meaning? And I walked that labyrinth, Chris, circles in, out, in, out, right? Exploring all, just thinking about the question and the possibilities and what I was taking away. And when I emerged out of the labyrinth, it was like a weight had been lifted because all of a sudden, right? I could feel, I could feel energy flowing through me pulling me into a direction. And that's what allowed me, you know, actually, and I talk about this work, there's a lot of people who are stuck from a place of fear. You know, they're doing work, they don't really like what they're doing, but they're afraid to move. And I always say, look, we need, what allowed me to escape that gravitational pull of fear was actually the gravitational pull of purpose. It was that pull that pulled me out and they said, you know, this is what I want to do. And that clarity, day four and five after that was just more and more of those experiences, right? But this notion of like complete, I can't even, you know, describe it. It's this feeling of relief that goes over you. Um, and even to this day, right? Like I, I talk now and I'm doing this work now for the last five years, which is now also in this book. Um, you know, I want that to everybody to experience that. What does it feel like when you are on mission and your work and life becomes so integrated? Because what you're doing is what you love. So this is no longer work and then I'm going to do what I love. No, what I do is what I love. And I wish that gift for everyone, right? Because what is, you know, think about, I mean, there's so many, right? 30% uh, of people, according to Gallup, are engaged 74 70 percent of people are just checking the box that's just a way to earn a living and you know they're not and i say you know think about this you know for your audiences right who are all you know well educated reasonable good places have reached a certain level you know why should we expect why should we not make find meaning in the work that we do because 
If we don't, how is it different than bonded labor? How is it different than slavery? We show up every day to our jobs, slave to our lifestyles, slave to our fears. I mean, work is what occupies the second most amount of human activity and time outside of sleep. And that's, and I experience the difference, you know, when we actually give ourselves the space to do the work, to find that we love and integrate it into what we do, our experience of life changes. And that's my hope for everybody. I love the story about the labyrinth. Ashish, do you mind to take us a little bit, maybe maybe say a little more about, because it seems like it was a, this defining moment in your life. And of course, very few people will be able to replicate something like that in their life right now. And maybe later on, we can speak about some ideas you have on what they can do to find their purpose. But can we just get a little more of a story of what happened in there that changed your life? Yeah, look, I mean, I will tell you this, Chris, I think so the, the labyrinth for sure was amazing. But listen, I think my big, my big insight, okay, my transformation, a lot of times we are looking for lightning bolt to strike to give us that meaning. And I don't think that actually, you know, I think that works for some. But you know, there's so many people who go to amazing retreats, and they come back and they go back to business as usual, right? So, you know, what I would suggest is if, we, if I talk a little bit about that, it wasn't the insight. It wasn't something magical that happened there. Of course it did. But I think what is more interesting was actually the journey for the next five years. You know, how I actually created boundaries to walk the path, because I truly feel we need to design, we need to truly design our life around what we are being called for. And that fundamentally requires lots of experimentation. It requires a commitment to show up and engage in learning and curiosity, which is what I created, right? So I created, I literally came out of that retreat and I decided that if I had to commit myself to learning, I had to create the space. So I went part-time with the firm. For the next five years, I only worked three and a half days a week on my client work. And I spent the other three and a half days showing up and learning as much as I could about this work. I started coaching clients around this topic. I changed the area of focus in my firm. I declared that I wasn't gonna do procurement anymore. I was actually gonna build this work around leadership teams and, and individuals helping become best versions of themselves. I'm gonna play with it. I was afraid of not failing. I was like, this is worth doing even if I fail. And I think that, you know, is that is uh, that I think is the I think is is the insight. And that's, that's, I think what's important, right? It's, uh, I think it's, it's, it echoes a little bit of, uh, you know, this uh, interview with Steph Curry, and you know, everybody was talking about this amazing three point shot that he made that won the game, right? And they were like, tell me about the shot. And like, how did you make the shot? And he said, People see the shot, they didn't see the 12 hours a day of shooting that I did for the last 12 years that actually made that moment. And I think that is the invitation that I would have, right? Which is don't wait for the blinding insight. Show up and actually create a life, create practices that allow you to discover your way into it. Completely agree. The reason I was asking about it is because you mentioned that you woke up and for the first time you felt you didn't have anxiety. And yes. I, think it's, I think there could be some gold there, there's some thoughts. I think it's not, it wasn't necessarily the labyrinth itself. I think it's what you did there. It's how you spend that time. You actually did the work. You thought about things. Yeah, I think for me, I think what emerged, I think what, as I said, I think what emerged for me, right, in the labyrinth was I actually found my purpose. I found my purpose. That was, you know, that is really, right, I think the last two days it allowed, it was forming, you know. Look, there is, there is a way of, we think about this as a way of knowing what we hold in our brains. We think, 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 right? Our intelligence actually is much beyond our brain. Our bodies have memories. Our bodies actually have memories generations ago, right, Chris? And there is other ways, intelligence that can rise within us. And I think to me, the last two days, what had happened was I had tuned into silence because I wasn't running continuously. I had given time to truly listen deeply to what needed to emerge. 
And it was that that was actually the reason I on Wednesday didn't wake up with anxiety, right? Because my mind had eventually, you know, once you give your mind space to quieten down versus continue to kind of rev on A, B, C, D, I'm going to think about one, two, three, four, you keep coming up anxious thoughts because you're always in the future, right? Once you create the space for it to calm down, you can start to really see what's there. And that's a little bit of what I what's experienced. And then once I walked the labyrinth and the purpose became so clear to me, uh, you know, I think that was the start of the journey. So Chris, so the notion of truly, you know, there's this beautiful saying that, you know, our mind, right, because it is so active, it's a little bit like, you know, if you take water and you have mud and you shake it, because our mind is so active, that's usually the state, right, which is lack of clarity. But if we just settle down, if we let tune into silence and we let the mud settle, what, what shows up? Clarity, pure water, right? So this notion of really being able to see your true self, really being able to tune into your core essence, fundamentally, your true nature of being, okay, your fundamental true nature of being, the only way you can get there is actually to stop the doing, is to stop continuously thinking our way into the answer. If we are able to do that, then we get there. I completely agree. I had a similar experience. There were no labyrinths involved, but it's much easier for people to replicate. And that was, I was working at a large bank at the time. I had a very stressful job managing a portfolio of a billion dollars, a lot of responsibility, very stressful. And I remember I, I was away for a week. I was, I was out of the country and being away for one week, it was just remarkable. It allowed mm -hmm. me to see my life from a big picture perspective and see that I'm going in the wrong direction. Yeah, I love that. And you know, it's those breaks. So, you know, I write about them in the book and I, you know, I, and I use this so much. We have gotten into a world so much of doing, right? That we actually forget, you know, we are called human beings, not human doings. We fill every living moment, every waking moment with activity. Even 15 minutes, we don't want to sit. We want to pick up a phone, right? And see what's happening there. There is nothing waiting, but we've gotten so used to continuously feeding. There'd be every time, Chris, when I've actually taken time off, where I've actually truly, we're not just taken time off, but truly disconnected. What has emerged is pure gold. So I talked about my experience at the retreat, right? And it made me discover my purpose. I took a similar break for a week in the midst of COVID. I basically left by myself, you know, because even when we go on, when we take holidays, we do it with our loved ones. We do it with our families, our kids, our wives, our friends. We still are so busy doing, even though we are not working, we are doing other things. We're having fun. We are not tuning in, right? So the second time I did it was I took a week. It was five days. I basically just went by myself to Breckenridge. I booked a cottage. I was just by myself. And again, that week, I didn't take any books with me, um, right? And so it was all about, again, what, am I, what have I learned from the last five years of 450 books and all these hours? What emerged from that week, Chris, were these nine practices that I write about in the book? as clear as they could be. Here's the nine, here's the logic, here's how they met, here's how they kind of integrate and match together, right? And the feedback that I've gotten has been amazing because you know, the, what I hear over and over is, these practices are around forever, but nobody has actually seen them integrated this way and so accessible to people. So that was the second, right? The third thing was a Vipassana. I did a 10-day silent meditation earlier this year. And again, as I became silent, right? So you can imagine much deeper and deeper levels of kind of silencing. 10 days of complete silent meditation. Um, you know, it's not something that everybody would do, but for me, I think what it unlocked again for me, a fundamental level of connection 
And my whole origin story around, you know, how I want this company to be the logo of the company. I'm actually creating a masterclass, the entire design of the masterclass, all of that, right, to me became so clear. Again, right, so every transformational kind of leap that I have made in my life, you know, over the last five to seven years has emerged from taking these breaks, allowing myself to disconnect, to build silence, to tune inwards. And I think it's a practice that I think we should all try and do in our own ways. Even if it's half a day of going by ourselves without phones, not listening to music, just walking in nature, you know, it can do that. Or taking 10 minutes or 15 minutes every morning and just sitting or at the end of the day. I think this notion of like silencing to listen, I think is a valuable practice. And unfortunately it is so lost in our world. It is so lost. Ashish, and now with iPhones always with us and we listening to books and to podcasts. And of course, there's a lot of value in listening to great stuff, but also you need space for your mind. Yeah. And, and it is, you know, we don't create it, right? And, and it is, and actually, you know, most people are afraid of that, right? So Chris, I read one in my research, I read about this experiment that had been done and it is actually crazy. Right. Um, and it was in this experiment that the researchers basically brought people into a white room, right? There was nothing there and they had to sit for about 15 minutes. And they basically, you know, they had a choice. So there was literally nothing to do. There was no paper, nothing to distract. But what they did leave was actually this instrument that they could use to give themselves shocks if they wanted. A large proportion of the people chose to repeatedly shock themselves versus just said by themselves. I mean, it was a crazy study. You know, we don't like to be silent. We don't like to sit with what might come up, right? Oftentimes they're unprocessed emotions, you know, things that we're struggling with and we suppress them by continuing to start doing more activity, do something else, do something else. Um, and, and, you know, as a result, they just become stuck in us and we continue to get more stressed, more anxious and more burnt out, you know, um, across everybody that I've, you know, we've looked at this as McKinsey before I left, 40 to 60% of the people are stressed and burnt out right now. It's even more in high stress jobs, high stress professions like consulting, but also same is true at executive levels. And I think a big part of that is actually because we're not building in enough coping. We're not building enough recovery. We are going, going, going. We're not creating the space to process some of those hard emotions, struggles in life that we have. We're not creating enough space to be truly creative. We're really not creating space to let our parasympathetic system match up with our sympathetic system to recover. Yeah, and I think I really hope that we are able to do that more, more and more. Shish, and in your research over the last five years and then writing this book, what would be some of the practices you would recommend people that they can implement from this week on creating this required space to recover? Yeah, so look, I think there are, there are nine practices that I talk about. The heart of the practice, Chris, is a practice of self-awareness. Self-awareness is all about understanding the true reality of who we are, how we experience the world and how the world experiences us, right? There's so much of the time we are just, you know, think about this, we breathe every moment. How often are we aware that we're breathing? When we are stressed, we go to our head. We completely lose touch with the actual feelings in our body. It might be tightness, it might be, you know, heat building up. We might become flush. Uh, you know, we oftentimes just move into action, we don't, right? So this notion of even just becoming aware is a really big deal because when we become aware of what's happening, we can actually choose to intervene and center ourselves and do something different. So really, really important practice, becoming constantly becoming aware of the thoughts that we might be holding at any time. And where are our thoughts are in the past or they're in the future? What we are feeling in our body and what's the mood that's present. Okay, so that we can tune into that and as we tune into that, using our breath as a way to come back to the present, to just let the thoughts subside rather than keep running. Huge, huge practice. 
You know, the other practice I talk about, and this is something that, you know, talk about micro recoveries. These are things that I have integrated into my life and I always coach my clients to do. Take five minute micro recoveries and build them in every 60 to 90 minutes. You know, if you can go 15 minutes, that's even better. But in that five to 15 minutes, micro recovery does not mean I'm not working and I'm checking my Facebook. Micro recovery does not mean I'm not working, so I'm gonna call somebody to do a task. Micro recovery is about just sitting and breathing deeply. It might be to look at a picture of a nature or even go out, right, to where there might be a plant and just seeing the flow of nature. You know, if, they, if, you, if you do happen to be where, you know, you're outside, you can listen to the birds, you can listen to squirrels, you can see what's playing out but truly giving ourselves our brain a chance to stop, right? Truly giving ourselves a brain, focus on something else other than work, other than the email that needs to be sent, other than a thought. By giving the brain that to focus on, we allow silence, right? And then the third thing I say is, you know, the other thing that we can do to again, tune into some, some of this work is, at the end of the day and at the beginning. So I have a practice that I actually don't sleep with the phone in my next in my bedroom. My phone is actually one floor below. I usually will turn it off at least an hour before I go to bed. Why? Because otherwise my brain is constantly going to the notification or whatever else. What else is coming out there, right? So I just turn it off. All notifications are off. And again, that gives the space for the brain to center, to calm, to start to settle down. I usually will read in the evening, write something spiritual. Again, nothing around work. Um, those are the things that I do. And those are ways in which, you know, I think as folks are listening, they can integrate these things so that we can give our chance in our everyday life to kind of break in, right? Longer term, you know, once a month, I always go at least for four hours by myself into nature. And I'll just walk without any, without any iPhone, without any headphones, just to truly listen. Uh, and then once a quarter, I'll take a whole day by myself. But it's about these micro recoveries, midterm recoveries, and you know, macro recoveries um, that I think we just need to do to be able to uh, integrate this silence, the power of silence and nature into our lives. Very powerful. Ashish, and if you compare your view, the way you look at the world five years from now, before that trip and now, what do you think changed? What are some of the key things that changed? Yeah, beautiful question, Chris. So several things changed and a lot of things remained the same. So what remained the same was actually the fact that community had always been core to me right? And I, I mean, that has continued as kind of been the a big part of it. The things that have changed are the following. One is I experience life completely differently now because the work I do is all around this space around helping people hardwire for happiness that has personal meaning. And so, you know, I don't, you know, when you just work for money, Everybody has their limit, but at some point we basically put the hand up, right? For you, it might be 40, for some it might be 70, for some it might be 90, but at some point we say enough is enough and we're gonna go do something else. When you're, and you're looking to balance your work and life. Whenever I hear the work life, when I hear the word work-life balance, what I immediately know is that person doesn't like what they do. Because if you loved what you do, why would you solve for balance? Right, that is your life. So that's fundamentally changed. The other thing that has fundamentally changed that has had huge dividends for me is, you know, one of the things I started integrating my life was the practice of gratitude, Chris. Gratitude is one of that powerful practices that actually truly, you know, my brain was wired to look for what's not here, what's not good. You know, as consultants, we thrive on that. Nobody shows up, right? Clients don't hire you to say, tell me what's good. They hire you to say, hey, I've got a problem or tell me where the issues are, right? So we get really good at finding issues. I used to pride myself as the guy who could, you know, pull up a slide and I was the fastest to notice this typo or an extra space. 
And by the way, that way of being transcends into your day-to-day -day life. You notice everything that isn't right and you obsess over it. And you completely don't see everything that is good, everything that is abundant. So as I integrated a gratitude practice, every night I used to write down, what am I grateful for? You know, it was based on the work done by Marty Seligman 20 years ago around positive psychology. It completely changed my brain wiring. You know, I experienced the world so much differently. You know, and the best way I describe it is with this analogy, Chris. You know, I was always the guy who could see the silver lining on the cloud. That was never the issue, right? We are all wired differently. I was an optimist. I could always see the silver lining. But as I started doing the gratitude practice over time, the actual cloud disappeared. I realized that the cloud was nothing but a small black spot on a big canvas of white. It wasn't, there was no cloud. We have so much to be grateful for, right? In our lives. Like think about this, you and I just sitting here having a conversation, right? The fact that we can see, when was the last time we were grateful for that? How many millions of people out there who can't see? Or the fact that we can hear, the fact that we have homes, you know, this is so close to your heart. It's so close to mine too, right? There's so many people right now who've lost their homes in this Russia-Ukraine crisis. And then we have when somebody loses something. They worry about that. And I experienced that, you know, when we were in summer in Europe and we flew from Barcelona, you know, from Mallorca to London, all our bags got lost. For one moment, that thought didn't come to me. It did come to my relatives, it did come to my, you know, my family. Oh my God, we lost the bags. And I'm like, guys, all that matters is three of, you know, three of us are safe here. And frankly, they're just bags, you know, not that far away. There are people who've lost their homes, their way of life. Let's not forget how much we have. So I think that's been a practice that's fundamentally changed my life, Chris. You know, and I think that's one that has you know, so I don't experience the ups and downs and like all the psychological drama when things don't go well, right? Because it's, I realize that it's actually so minor. Uh, and then I've integrated practices uh, around well-being, Chris, that I write about into my book, into my life. I used to end my days, Chris, exhausted. Exhausted, okay? And, you know, after working all day and then the evenings i mean on the weekends all i wanted to do was just sit during the evenings i would crash tired i now leave end my days with almost as much energy i mean we're talking about this right now and you know it's 5 47 it's the end of the evening i have as much energy as i had at the start of the day because i've actually integrated these practices around well-being around micro breaks around eating right around you know introducing movement so many of the practices that i write about into my book i've hacked my own energy management in a way that i actually end the day with more energy than when i start the day right literally more energy than i start the day um so that when i unplug and spend time with my family who i care deeply about which i know so many people if they ask what's the most important thing in your life they'll say it's their family so when I unplug at the end of the day, I want to have the most energy for those that I love. And so those are some of the things that have actually changed in my life as I integrated these practices into my life. More energy, gratefulness, so I don't experience the heaviness of life. And when things don't go well, I still see all the, you know, all the amazing things that we are blessed with, you know, and actually completely living life in tune with meaning, in tune with my purpose and experiencing the flow and the gifts that that brings. Beautiful, Ashish. And over the last five years, while you were doing this heavy, serious study, could you share with us two, three aha moments, which once you, you discovered something, had an insight, something like that, it changed everything in some way for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, so I was doing a lot of studying, but what I was also doing, Chris, was a lot of practice, right? So it is all about practice for me. This is all about practice. It's about what we try, what we experience. Because, you know, when we study, you know it. When we practice, we start doing it, right? And when we start doing it, it over time shifts our core way of being, right? So it's about I'm unconsciously unaware, 
do I'm consciously aware, do I'm unconsciously, right now I'm just doing it unconsciously, that just becomes part of it. So what were some of those ahas? I think the first one was the aha about how much of our suffering that we create is self-created. We, we are so used to saying, you did this, he did this, the organization did this, that happened. It is not the event ever that causes the suffering. It is our assessment of it and how we hold it versus right versus wrong. So we are the creator of our suffering. That was a big insight, which meant that I could be the shaper of my experience. I could choose to reframe. I could choose to assess how I was making sense and, you know, choose to do it differently. Why should I give, you know, I don't control, think about it, you and I don't control anything externally. We never have full control externally on anything, right? Really nothing. So why should we let the outside control what we experience internally? I should be the creator of my own experience. So that was the first insight, okay? And, you know, as you start to let that, we are, and also in the context of the same, we are more than our thought. We have thoughts. We are more than the moods. You know, we often say, I am angry. And by saying I'm angry, I completely lose all agency to do anything about it. Versus I am feeling anger. I am not the anger. I am feeling, I am, you know, I am thinking, I have beliefs about something being right or wrong. I am not the belief. I am the one holding the belief. It gives us agency. So I think that was a very powerful insight that we always have agency, Chris. We always have agency, right? The second big piece, the insight to me, and this was like amazing. You know, there is so little, Chris, that we know as individuals about these amazing advancements that are in the medical profession around just our level of well-being. So for example, Chris, I had no idea, no idea how bad sitting is for us, right? What I've discovered was this, you know, you know, we all like, we think if we work out 30, 45 minutes, three to four times a week, we're actually doing good. When you look at the research, it actually has zero correlation to cardiovascular health long-term and, and, and whether we're gonna develop obesity, heart disease, zero correlation. What matters is whether we move or not. That's the reason why movement, sitting is called the next, is the new smoking. And we, I mean, I spent, you know, like so many consultants, 12, 14 hours sitting. In fact, multiple times, 12 hours at least stuck in a chair, in a, in a plane seat, right? And when we work, we sit and work. When we relax, we sit and watch TV. You know, no surprise for many people who have pedometers, they'll say, oh, I only did 2000 steps today. It's not a joke. It's actually so bad for us. You know, I had no idea, no idea, Chris, that sleep is so important of a role, not just long term in terms of not getting Alzheimer's, memory formation, etc. But the fact that when we don't sleep, we are literally cognitively at our worst. So, you know, work done by Matthew Walkers and others that showed that if you actually sleep less than seven hours for 10 days in a row, our ability to think clearly is at the same level as if you went a whole 24 hours without sleep. How many people on the call, right, who are listening to this can look at their last seven days and say, I slept more than seven hours? We just don't because we don't know the effects of that, right? So, I mean, learning all of these things that can allow us to be our best you know, that was an insight. So I said, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. As I live my life, I am gonna sleep at least seven hours. By the way, 90% of us need more than seven hours of sleep. I'm actually gonna make sure I sleep seven hours. I'm gonna make sure I stand most of the time or I walk in addition to the exercise that I do. I wanna make sure that I'm building in periods of time where I can focus versus not be distracted, right? Um, blocks of time, right? So all of these insights were amazing around what makes us really well-being. I wasn't aware of them. And because I wasn't aware of them, I was living into a false belief of another all-nighter, it's okay, it's not making that much of a difference, I'm just gonna get it done, I'm gonna sleep on the weekend, right? I work hard during the week so I can sleep on the weekend. We can never recover lost sleep from weekends. It doesn't work, you can look at the science, 
I had no idea. So I think that those insights were very, very powerful around our core nature of well-being, right? What makes us, what makes us well? Um, yeah, I think those are some of them that I think have, uh, have been the big ahas for me. There's lots more around emotions and how we can really work through emotions differently and why we actually fall prey to emotions. Emotions ride us versus us ride emotions, right? The agency we have around that, uh, right, was the other big one. But, uh, you know, we can cover that. Uh, we can cover that another time. That is very powerful. Ashish, I know we are coming close to the end of our session today. And thank you so much for being so generous and sharing your advice and the wisdom that you accumulated. I was wondering what advice could you give to people who are listening to this now and they know that what they're doing right now is not what they were supposed to do with their life, but they're not quite sure how to figure out what they're supposed to do. Yes. So look, uh, I think very, I would say start by tuning inwards, start by creating space so we can really tune in to really start to truly understand who we are and what we love. You know, the power, Chris, that I would encourage everybody to look at, they can obviously get a copy of my book and I outline an approach there to discover your meaning, discover your purpose, combining some of the spiritual work and traditions around Ikigai. It's an old, old Japanese concept with design thinking work to kind of really craft a future together. But I would say, start with oftentimes we solve for what we are good at what the world will need what world needs and is willing to pay for that's called a job right i can get paid for it and i say don't start there start with what you love start with what you're passionate about get really curious look back in your life what were those moments when you were in flow where you were loving what you were doing what situations was it? Was it outside in nature? Was it at the office? Was it solving big world problems or was it solving efficiency problems? The answers are different. Was it something related to people? Was it something related to growth? Was it something related to cost? What was the time pressure like? Did you work well in kind of time pressure deadline zones or did you work because it was longer times? You know, what kind of problems were excited you? You know, what, in what domain? Was it, you know, international elements to it versus kind of local elements to it? Uh, really get curious about that, start there. Next, look at that and then tune also into what are you really good at? For those who don't know what they're good at, they can take a Gallup Strength Finder, they can do the VI assessment, which is at the positive psychology website that Marty Seligman and others have. There are tons of ways, ask people, Hey, what am I good at, Chris? What do you see me as my strengths? Go there. Now that you have what you are good at and what you love, sit with that and start to actually use this technique I outlined called mind mapping to come up with a range of different approaches that uh, allow you to come up with, you know, really think outside the box, truly think outside the box to come up with a range of options of jobs, of work that you could do that combine what you're good at with what, you're, uh, what you love, right? And, and from that, then put the lens of, okay, which of these are commercially viable? Which of the ones that I can get into? Put all those filters of practicality afterwards. The problem is we often start with the practicality first. You know, I'm a consultant. I've done all this marketing work. What, where can I go? with my experience what i can do next and i say you know we can all reinvent ourselves we're all going to live to be most of us right we're going to live to be in our 80s and 90s and we're going to work long who cares if you're 25 35 40 you still have so much life left don't let your past define your future and don't be incremental about it do not be incremental about it Give yourself space to tune inwards and really go wild. Really think creatively, think outside the box. Thank you, Ashish. Thank you so much. And any final words you want to share? Anything you wish I asked you, but I didn't? 
Um, look, you know, what I will share is, I think, Chris, just a way for, I mean, to me, this is the work, you know, I, my mission in life, Chris, is to touch a billion lives over my lifetime and do it through a way that I can support others to plug into an open architecture company, to take some of these learnings and apply them in their own communities, in their own context, but also come join us in the community to share their wisdom, their insights, their ways in which they've seen how to affect change in individuals and team lives, right? That's what my hope is, you know, people can look into happinessquad.com. If this is something that they resonate from a mission point of view, you know, connect with us. I'm always happy to chat uh, with people and kind of at least offer what help I can through my relationships and networks. Uh, but yeah, like I truly feel that if we actually don't allow and enable people, which is what I feel is my purpose, to hardwire for happiness, we will not have a planet left in the next 25, 30 years. And so I so personally feel called to do this work and I invite everybody to join me in, uh, in you know, affecting this positive change in our world. Ashish, and where can people learn more about you, get your book? The book is called, by the way, again, Hardwired for Happiness. Yeah, so it is available on Amazon as a hard copy, soft copy, ebook. It's also going to be available on uh, Apple, uh, you know, in the Apple Store and iBooks, Barnes and Nobles, and the other retailers, so people can order it there. Um, our website is happinesssquad.com, and they can, you know, look more into my story. I also have a blog um, that I post every week. Uh, and then look, one of the things that I started experimenting with that is actually done really, really well, Chris, and I've gotten such amazing feedback from people is, you know, on Instagram and Facebook, uh, it's my happiness squad. I'll send that to you, all of these. What I've started doing, Chris, is every morning, I post a 60 to 90 second reading. Some wisdom reading from, you know, a Buddhist teacher or something from like Clay Christensen, a business leader. And it's all about, you know, the idea is to start our day with a very different intention, with a very different kind of provocation to shift into thinking differently than this fear-based thinking that, you know, the moment we turn on the news, there's all this, oh, now there's an inflation. Now this is what's happening. You know, it's a different way to start our day. And it's gotten so many positive kind of, you know, I think people are looking for that. So I think if, if your uh, listeners, it's, it'll be a simple 60 to 90 second uh, listen that they can listen to and just start their days differently. Thank you, Ashish. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for sharing your story and what you learned, all this wisdom sharing with us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I think you're doing such amazing work, Chris. It's such a wonderful community that you have built. Uh, and uh, thank you for giving me an opportunity to speak to them. I so look forward to collaborating with you in the, you know, in the years to come and together creating a happier, healthier world with more love and meaning. Thank you. Thank you, Ashish. And for everyone watching or listening, thank you so much for spending this time with us. And I'm going to see you in the next session. Bye, everyone. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.